This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. Assalamu alaikum, hello, wallah, and welcome to the second hour of Life Beats with me, Sally Musa. Now uh, we are getting ready for the weekend, so. To get us ready, we are about to speak to our man on the beat, Saeed, Saeed, arts and culture reporter at The National. We are going to be finding out uh, why a huge Aboriginal painting is coming all the way from Australia for the architecture triennial here in Sharjah in November. It is so incredibly beautiful uh, and the story behind it is amazing. Uh, plus, an epic battle on reality television is about to be reignited between two giants of Arab music on the new season of The Voice. We cannot wait. And a hot new hit from Adil Eshbi as he strikes out on his own away from the boy band the five, they were meant to be the answer to uh, One Direction from the Arab world. They had some amazing music. It didn't last. We're going to ask Said why that is. Uh, but this tune, this is a tune. you got to turn it up. It is an amazing one for summer. That is all coming up right here on Life Beats on Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats Beats. with Sally Musa, only on Pulse 95. And it is time to welcome to the show Saeed Saeed, arts and culture reporter at The National. We're going to be talking uh, everything that's going on in the world of music, art and, of course, TV. And uh, Saeed, uh, let's start with uh, art and the architecture triennial because uh, we are going to be seeing... A huge Aboriginal painting all the way from Australia coming to Sharjah this November. Tell us more about this. Yes, it's definitely an important piece and a, a, def- a piece of Australian history. So, um, so as part of the Sharjah Architecture Triennial, so this, this, so this is there's a painting that's going to be shown there. It's like five by ten, and it's being used essentially. What makes this painting significant that it was a major piece of evidence, um, you know, by uh, you know by the Nagura tribe in Australia to um, to state that the land that they were living in in in, in Australia was you know they were there because I mean because because basically it was. It was part of a, a, a situation where the Australian government wanted to reclaim that land because they felt that no one was no one was living there. Mm. While the Nagura tribe were saying, "Yes, we did live there. Our ancestors were living there." And a key piece of evidence, you know, in their claim for this land was this big piece of painting, which showed which showed you know the interaction of the community with that land. So yeah, and so and also this piece is important a for that historical and legal. Um, as, 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 as a document, but it also shows um, Aboriginal painting and how Aboriginals use art, you know, as a way to showcase and discuss, you know, the spiritual and you know social and society and society that they lived in. You know what's really uh, interesting, you know, for people who are not familiar 
uh, with Aboriginal art. You know, we both, of course, grew up in Australia. This is something that you would see all the time. Uh, but it's incredibly sacred. You know, Aboriginal art is a sacred thing. And it's almost like you could almost compare it to something like Islamic art, for example. Um, they have like this really deep connection to the land. And, and the Sharjah Triennial this year is titled Right to Future Generations. And it's all about questioning, you know, ecological sustainability and the indigenous and alternative practices, you know, about how we coexist with the land. And this is central to the way that Aboriginals live, isn't it? Absolutely. And like in this actual canvas that, um, that is coming to Sharjah, um, it depicts, you know, how talking about, depicts how the Aboriginal tribes um, and the Nagura tribe had some environmentally sustainable practices. Like, you know, within that within that canvas, mm. which is five by ten. You five by ten meters, not five, five by, by ten, ten foot. Because people might be thinking five by ten foot. Uh, it's five by ten meters. It's humongous. Absolutely. So, and it's so full of small details. Oh. And one of the small details, though, there's images there of fresh water holes yes. that, that the Nagura tribe are using. And those water holes, I mean, um, it's called Gila. You know, mm. so and those and the, the significance of that waterhole is is that the, what they did was not only were they important as a as as a terms of survival, but it was also an important in a social perspective. People gathered around the waterholes. There were discussions were being made. So yes, as you were saying before, like the um, uh, Aboriginal art, like Islamic art in a way, is art with a purpose. It's art that records history. It's art that's used to convey a message. Exactly. Uh, you know, if you've uh, ever seen it before, it's full of tiny, tiny, tiny little dots uh, that make up, you know, the greater picture, the larger picture, which is mesmerizing. You know, whether you look at the whole canvas standing back or you come up close and you see all of the tiny details, like you said, this is magical and this is an absolute must see. And, and this particular piece you know, like you said, it is part of a whole historical narrative in Australia, um, you know, used as evidence to uh, help the um, Gurara people to, to get their land as well. We have to understand that the land that they're talking about is slightly smaller than the entire UAE. <laughs> Which is incredible. It's amazing, you know, when you think about, you know, how big Australia is, how these people, um, you know, the indigenous people grew up on that land and, and how they express themselves through it. And I just love that so much. Yeah, absolutely. And it goes against this kind of notion, for example, you know, and I'm sure you hear this a lot of the time, that a lot of the time, Sally, is that Australia is, you know, um, it's all, only 75 or 80 percent of it is inhabited while the others is just desert that's right. actually that's wrong because right. those so-called desert areas have been used and have been lived by these aboriginal tribes and it's, and it's kind of quite offensive to say you know that this is just all just arid land no but these are the lands of people with history this is huge adrian lahoud who is the uh, lebanese architect who is curating the exhibition he said uh, about this at the canvas is emblematic of the aspirations of the triennial. It speaks to the richness of indigenous understandings and of the country. I'm so excited for this to come out. Uh, this is going to be actually on show at the uh, Sharjah Art Foundation. Sharjah Art Foundation isn't related to the triennial, but they will be showing certain pieces uh, from the triennial as well, which we're incredibly excited about. Um, and I think uh, that's going to be running from November the 9th, Said. 
Yes, that's right. So yeah, that's right. So that's another um, another feather in the cap of Sharjah's cultural um, calendar, which is growing and growing. You know, I mean, because um, um, also at the same time, don't forget, during that time, you're going to have the Sharjah International Book Fair, you know, yes. as well, and, and 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 all the other events that comes with you know with Sharjah being you know the year of books as well, the world book capital. Yes. So November is always a very very busy time, and I spend a lot of uh, a lot of that month in Sharjah. It's going to be incredible. We are going to be live as well from uh, the Sharjah International Book Fair, which is very exciting. We do need to mention that the triennial, the architecture triennial, was in fact founded by the late Sheikh Khalid bin Sultan Al-Qasimi, who passed away earlier this month. So we we must give credit to him uh, for bringing about this incredible, incredible uh, event that does happen every three years. But uh, coming up next, Saeed, <laughs> we are going to be talking the revival of the epic battle between two of music's biggest reality TV show judges. That is next right here on Life Beats on Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. Welcome back to Life Beats on Pulse 95. Said Said is with us. Uh, we are talking everything that is going on in the world of arts and culture. And Said, it is on again. We are seeing two of the music world's biggest reality TV show stars at it once again on a brand new show this time. Yes, that's right. It's going to be an Arab pop grudge match <laughs> happening. Um, I'm hitting our screens um, very soon. Um, um, pop stars Raghab Alama and Ahlam are going to appear together in the next season of The Voice Ahla Sot, which is basically the Arabic version of the international franchise that's The Voice. Um, both will appear as mentors when season six um, of The Voice, the Arabic version, comes on NBC later in the year. Um, um, for what I understand is that uh, in the next couple of weeks um, the, the show will begin recording so expect them you know so expect them to, to, to go around um, the the region really for auditions and everything like that so there'll be information announced later on about where um, any hopefuls from Sharjah who want to be part of um, what a contest and be part of Team Raghab or Team Ahlam, <laughs> they'll be in audition soon. Amazing, because of course you know this rivalry goes all the ba- the way back to 2011 uh, when we saw Raghab Alama and Ahlam fight it out on the Arab version, uh, Arab Idol. Um, You know, this is where it all started uh, and they would constantly be at each other uh, about their judging styles. Of course, Ahlam, very to the point, very blunt. Sometimes, you know, people would call her brutal. Uh, And Raghab is just much more diplomatic. He's much more positive. Uh, So it all started from there, didn't it? Yes, that's right. So it, it's basically a clash of styles, you know, and basically, and it, you know, it's a clash. And also, it's really about what those two viewed their roles as judges were. So in Arab Idol, there were, you know, there were two of the four judges. You know, um, Raghab Alama thought that his role as a judge, or what judges really should be, is encouragers, facilitators, you know, and provide constructive criticism. Mm. While Ahlam was like, you know what, you're going to enter the, the entertainment industry 
the, the industry is quite brutal, it's cutthroat. So my job is to get you ready, and I'm going to tell you <laughs> what I think. So, so, so yeah. So, so that, so, so those two styles, um, you know, were, you know, were part of that show. And a lot of the times, you know, when, when Rafa would tell Ahlam, look, you're being too hard on these contestants because sometimes they'll they'll be in tears. By what mm. Halam would say, yeah. and Halam would, and Halam would tell Razab, "No, I'm just doing my job, you know." Yeah, so it's a really interesting thing. So they were doing this for two years, and then basically towards the end, uh, Razab Alama had enough, and he walked out of the show um, at the end of the season, of course, and went back to solo um, touring. And now this will be his first really proper television appearance, you know, in like um, five years. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I, I can't wait to see this, by the way, because, you know, I love seeing the two of them. Uh, and, and I guess, you know, the TV bosses, they know this at uh, NBC. Yeah. They know uh, that people love to see that clash of personalities. You know, uh, he said um, about it, he said, I don't think we should be there on the show to destroy people about her style. He said, um, I agree with a lot of the stuff that she has to say. I just don't necessarily agree with the way that she says it. Do you, do you agree with that? Or do you think... You know that the, the the those contestants should develop a thick skin and should be able to take whatever is thrown at them. I mean, look. In I mean, I know what like I, I know what they're both saying, but I do believe. Um, I, I kind of I, I kind of tend to be more towards the halal side of the situation. Mm-hmm. I think too many of these shows are just too. There's too many of these judges. They're just molly coddling. You know, yeah. as they say. I mean, all the, I mean, all, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, like, I think the contestants need to be told exactly where they stand. Now, sure, can Halam be a little bit more diplomatic? Yeah, perhaps so. But I think, and in a lot of these shows, in um, like in, in Arabic television, there's too, there's, there's too many, there's too many um, judges. Just really not giving proper advice, and right. I think that's a, that's a, that's a detriment um, of the contestants. And they do that a lot of the time because you know they fear that if they become mean, that would ruin their brand. Mm-hmm. You know, so so there's a lot of so there's a lot of there's a lot of at stake here. So I think in a way, Ahlam is still you know it, it is a um, is a blast of fresh air. Um, you know, to these stuff, um, um, to Arab Idol. And the thing is, don't forget, like now they're going to The Voice. Yep. The Voice is a very different proposition, you know. So in a way, Ahlam and Raghab Alama will not be, I guess, dueling, you know, fighting each other as judges. They're going to be coaches. Yes. You know, so they're going to have to, so yeah, so they're going to be dealing with their own teams. So it's going to be interesting to see how Raghab Alama's positive style, you know, will work you know, in terms of coaching these contestants. Exactly. We'll just have to wait and see. That is uh, going to be coming up on the sixth season, sixth season of The Voice, Ahla Salt. Uh, but coming up, Said, uh, we're going to continue talking reality TV and music because uh, we're going to be talking the Arab boy band. Uh, that was hopefully going to be the Arab world's answer to One Direction, but wasn't disappointingly enough we're going to ask why that was next here on life beats on pulse 95 this is pulse 95 you're listening to the life beats podcast life beats beats. with sally musa only on pulse 95 Welcome back to Life Beats. We are talking music. We're talking uh, reality TV shows in particular. Continuing that theme, Said, uh, the five 
You know, a, a lot of people may not know this, but there were high hopes for the group called The Five around four years ago for them to become the Arab world's answer to One Direction. And you know what? They had some pretty good songs out too. Yes, that's right. I mean, you know, if you go back four or five years ago, I mean, the, um, the biggest thing that was really happening here in terms of just pop music was, you know, was the five. Um, they came, I mean, it's, it's a very similar story um, to One Direction. They, they were part um, of the 2015 season of The X Factor. They came second, you know, then, then, then they were um, immediately kind of snapped by Sony Music Middle East. And yep, and yep, and they released, you know, they released four or five singles, but the band kind of fizzled. Mm. Uh, interesting, because uh, the thing is, the interesting thing about the band is that it's a pan-Arab band. There was members from Algeria, members from Egypt, you know, members from Morocco, and you know, so in a way, and each singer. Each of the five singers represented a certain style, so that allowed them to do different things, like from Arabic pop to rhyme music, you know, to Algerian hip hop. But it just didn't really work, and a lot of the time it was down to logistics. I mean, it's, I mean, in like you know, we seem to. Um, the thing is, with One Direction, they all lived like in the same country, mm. right? So, but when it comes to bringing like the five together, it was very difficult, and just the logistical part of it what became too difficult, and then the band just disbanded like last year. I mean, you kind of think if you're going to be in a band together, you at least need to be like in the same country and kind of working together on, in an ongoing way and, uh, you know, kind of dedicating a bit more to it. I'm kind of disappointed because I think they were onto something. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. So like, and this is what I wanted to explore, right? When I um, when I interviewed Ahmad Al Shibi, mm. you know, um, who, uh, the Moroccan singer who um, who went solo, who just released his latest his latest single called Semai, and yeah, so I so I asked him about that, and he was very refreshing in his responses. He was saying that one of the biggest challenges creatively, you know, with the five is that they all had diverse sets of skills, and not everybody was on the same level. So, for example, you know, if you wanted to sing an Egyptian pop ballad you know some you know some other members were, were not used to that so he said instead of trying to make the song the best that we could we had to make the song kind of we had to, we had to kind of dilute it and make it to the lowest common denominator so that way everybody can kind of sing together so that was a really interesting insight one of many he said in um, in, in the article in the national because you you kind of get to thinking um, you know that makes it th th so much so that you have to dilute what's going on to kind of fit with everybody else. But, you know, I think they really could have built on those, uh, what everybody was bringing, you know, everybody was bringing something different, but it didn't work out in the end. But I'm really glad to see that um, Adil Eshabi uh, is coming out now on his own, uh, with his own solo single now, Semai as well. It's pretty catchy itself. Absolutely. It's a very kind of nice melange, you know, of the Gulf and Moroccan style. Yeah, so it's basically, a, which by the way, the Gulf Moroccan style um, is, is kind of quite similar in the sense of the rhythms involved. So on one hand, so, uh, the, 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 when it comes to the composition itself, the song is, is quite Haliji, you know, the hand claps, you know, you have the call and response vocals, you know, you have, you know, you have the intense percussion, but the, the Moroccan flavor really comes in the, in the, in the dialect. 
of the, the way yes. that he sings. I mean, Moroccan, the, a Moroccan dialect is very punchy, is very rhythmic, you know, so it, it goes is. really well, you know, with a, with a high energy pop single. So actually, I think, you know, for a first, uh, you know, for a first effort, you know, um, um, Simmer is a really good calling card and it'll be interesting to see what he does. It is very cool. I'm also loving the video that goes with it. Yes, that's right. The video almost looks like a Hassan Hajjaj painting, doesn't yes. it? Like you know, a Hassan Hajjaj photo. You know, it was it was shot in the outskirts um, of, of Marrakesh in the desert. It's kind of full of kind of dazzling pop art references. It's really really interesting. It's actually um, it's, if you think that it looks similar to the Sa'ad Lamjarad's um, Alim, you know, that, that, that mega single, that video, it is because it's, it's the same director. Mm. So, you know, so, you know, so he's using the right people to create the right visuals. So, yeah, so, so far, you know, um, you know, he's, he isn't, he's doing things the right way. I'm loving it. Uh, in just a moment, <laughs> I want to talk to you, Saeed, about the song that has uh, completely toppled Mariah Carey's record-breaking uh, weeks at number one. Uh, it's one that we all know. But uh, for now, let's take it out with a little bit of Semei. This is
نخلط نبغي غير وحدة لنعاند ولا نتحدى الحب وصلك وتقادة تقادة 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 This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. That song that you're hearing right now is the song of the moment, Old Town Road by Lil Nas X. It is just a juggernaut right now. And as of this week, it has toppled Mariah Carey's record breaking for weeks of number ones, topping the charts at 17 weeks. This is unbelievable, Said. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, more than the song itself, which is quite decent as pop songs go, <laughs> it actually, it shows now really that digital um, the, the, the music, music is going digital. Mm. That's the story. You know, I mean, when when that when Mariah Carey was when when Mariah Carey was the um, you know was ruling the charts, you know, like two, two decades ago, it was all about the massive marketing campaigns, the big billboards, the big CDs. It's all about selling CDs physically. And now, you know, with what Little Nas kind of proved that, you know, is digital all the way. I mean, this song um, gained steam in digital. Um, snippets of the song have started appearing in social media networks. It yeah, just, exactly. TikTok. It went crazy I mean, from there. Absolutely. So I mean, so it just shows now how marketing, you know, has changed. And also in the video clip of that, um, 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 of uh, of that song, you'll find as well. Ha Ha Davis. He is a very big internet social media personality. He was one of the actors, um, you know, in the video clip. So it shows you now how the industry is kind of changing and how social media, and you know, and digital distribution is the way to go. It used to be one sweet day. Now it is uh, Old Town Road uh, in its 17th week on the Billboard Hot 100. It's just unbelievable. It is just all over the place. But what makes it, you know, okay, yes, you can have social media. You can go digital. This will put you out there. But say, you know, from your incredible experience, what makes a song just catch on to people in a way, you know, that just they cannot get it out of their heads? You know, so, uh, you know, and that's the question that I always try to ask, like, you know, um, pop producers. I mean, I remember we spoke to Nile Rogers, mm. um, you know, who's still working, you know, um, as a pop producer. He said, like, and he, and he would say, you know, a good pop song hits you first in your gut. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's not really an intellectual exercise. <laughs> he said, you know, if you hear a song, you know, if you hear a song and basically within the next, you know, 20 seconds, you know, it kind of, you know, it, it, it kind of stays in your mind. You know, then that's it. That's the hit. That's how you always kind of operate. If a song makes you, after hearing it once, makes you wanna, makes you wanna hum it. 
you know, then, you know, that's really what it is. And, you know, and I think this, this is what it is with Old Town Road. I mean, it's very, very catchy. <laughs> it's very easy. It's very easy to sing, you know. So, yeah, so, yeah, it, so, it's, it, it's, it's, so it's not very challenging, you know. And also as well, it has just a great, you know, like it has a great video clip, you it know. Does. And it has Billy Ray Cyrus. Right. You can't go wrong with that. <laughs> Breaky heart. I, I love that. Uh, I love that uh, Mariah Carey has uh, responded on social media with big congrats, saying, uh, say, "Sending love and congrats to Little Nas X on breaking one of the longest-running records in music history. We have been blessed to hold this record with a song that means a great deal to boys to men and myself, and has touched so many. Keep living your best life." She's very gracious about it. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, but also the but also the thing is as well. I mean, yes, we're talking about the charts, but then again, this this could be even another conversation for another time. How important are the charts now? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, exactly. Like you know, if I mean, if you're a music fan, you know, you don't consult the charts now and say, okay, this, this is what I'm gonna buy. We it's used all about what's to, happening on we? social media. Oh, exactly. Oh, the charts are very important. A number one album, you know, was a was you know was a source of pride. You know, but now a number one album. Is really is, is you know it's is, is, is an internal thing you know you feel good about it in the industry but it doesn't necessarily mean that you know it's um, that you know that it's gonna make more people buy it you know so yeah so the whole thing is like yes so, so the whole thing is it's inter- it's interesting on one hand it's not very important in terms of popular culture but on the other hand it's important in the sense that now we know that music is def- we are definitely now in the music streaming era. We are in the digital distribution era. Right. So, you know, so yeah, so now a lot of these big acts like the Mariah Carey's, you know, the ones that are still functioning, you know, they're still doing, they have to look at, you know, Old Town Road and kind of think about their, their strategy, you mm-hmm. know? So, I mean, that's a good example of, you know, how to sell a lot of records to today's generation. It is indeed. Well, uh, I love Nile Rogers' uh, answer to that. If anybody knows how to put together a hit, and he's been doing it for, what, four decades now? Uh, I love it. I love it. We're going to play some Nile Rogers next time with you, uh, talk a bit about that as well. Uh, but for now, we are going to take it out uh, with Mariah Carey's song, One Sweet Day. Thank you so much, Said. You are off to Australia now. Oh, yes, that's right. It's time now to go time now just to kind of go home and decompress and just do absolutely nothing. I love you know, it. So by, the, so by the time I come back, I'll be energized and ready, you know, for the, you know, for the entertainment season, which will truly kick off, you know, um, around late August. It definitely will. And we can't wait to have you back. Have a fantastic holiday and we'll catch up with you next time, Said. All the best. Here it is, Mariah Carey's and Boys to Men's One Sweet Day.
Pulse 95. Tune in live every weekday from 10am.